Get ready for brilliant people, brilliant ideas, and a regular good time. This is Brilliant Thoughts with Success People editor Tristan Almada, the show that thinks about how personalities, relationships, and communication shape business success. And now here he is, Tristan Almada. How? How do we define culture as it relates to the workplace? How does it evolve over time? How does strategy and culture go hand in hand? Look, these are all great questions. So today I talk with Melissa Daimler, a thought leader of culture and learning. Here's where we dive into managing culture through change and using it to empower employees. This is how we create effective organizations and businesses. Here we go. Welcome back to another episode of Brilliant Thoughts, a success magazine podcast. And today I have Melissa Daimler. She just wrote a book that I just finished reading. You've got to go get it. It's called Reculturing. Pick it up on Amazon. I have it on Kindle because I needed to highlight a lot of things in this book. And wow, Melissa, just your journey alone, I was like, wow, from Adobe to Twitter to WeWork and now to... Is it Udemy? Is that what it Udemy. is? Udemy. 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 Yep. I always get that one wrong. Udemy. <laughs> a lot of people do. <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm impressed. And all of that, I'm like, that's a lot of growth and a lot of knowledge, all based around culture and how important it is for, for all of these companies. But more importantly, how to define it. Where do we start with culture? So... Yeah, I mean, my I'm really lucky to have had the journey I've had, and and I would say culture is a huge theme of my career and learning. It's, it's why I've been attracted to the roles I've been in, and have been really lucky to be able to develop other people as well as continue to learn myself. So I think in all of that experience, what I kept looking for, and I highlight this in the book, is more of a practitioner playbook, if you will, of how to design culture. And so often, and I didn't realize it until I actually started researching organizational culture for the book, that the concept of corporate culture is 70 years old. I mean, it was first identified and coined as a term by Dr. Elliot Jocks, and he wrote a book called The Changing Culture of a Factory, when he realized that there were a lot of dynamics that go on in an organization, even in a factory, beyond just the work itself. And what I was surprised by is that even after 70 years, we still couldn't come up with a definition that was something that could be operationalized, something that we had agency over, that we could design as employees. And so, you know, what the the definitions that I've often heard from people are, you know, it's the organization's personality or it's what happens when the boss leaves the room or it's what makes people happy. Mm. And those are all great. I also, you know, you and I both have heard that culture is the ping pong tables, the games, the fun, <laughs> which yeah. is all great. I like a good time as well, but that is to me not, that does a disservice to the definition. And so I wanted to provide something that I had wanted throughout my career. And that was based on 
somebody who has experienced this from the front lines. I also just felt like a lot of things I read were theoretical or academic. So I wanted to bring my own stories, not all of which, as you read, are perfect. I mean, I, you know, I, it wasn't a book about here are all the best practices and all the things you need to do. It's more of what I've learned along the way. And this idea of systems thinking, which is, I think we miss a huge opportunity here to leverage culture as a way to forward the business. You know, when we can link the purpose and the, the strategy and the culture together as a holistic system, I think it makes it easier for us as employees as leaders to be more successful as a business. That was a lot. No, that's good because it kind of, it lays the groundwork to one thing that I was really, I I, I learned a lot from your book because like a lot of people out there listening to this, which are entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, right? Mm -hmm. We are sometimes getting the watered down version of what culture means to us because we don't realize, like you said in the book, I have it right here, strategy evolves for culture specifically. And we forget that part. And I totally forgot. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, that's right. It does evolve, mm-hmm. doesn't it? I'm like, I never mm-hmm. even thought about it. Mm-hmm. But I certainly thought of how strategy to make more money evolves, right? Yeah. That's yeah. why I was like, wait a second, I need to pay attention to this one. <laughs> And that's when I started highlighting it. I'm like, damn, I never thought of that. And I have a question on that, on strategy evolves for culture. You've seen through this research that you've done, some companies that probably had some amazing culture at one point, how you define it. And then all of a sudden it kind of like, it kind of died out. Mm -hmm. What have you seen? What have you seen as a main reason for that or reasons? that? I think simply we stopped focusing on it. I think that, you know, I I talk about the fact that, as you said, culture is evolving. It's active. It's a verb. It's not a noun. It's not a one-off HR initiative that we do once and throw a bunch of values on our website and that's it. I think it's something that needs to be reviewed. And, you know, when cultures fade or there's not the kind of vibe or energy that was there before because we haven't reviewed what it is we even had. You know, a lot of cultures do get created organically, but unless we codify what just got created, we won't be able to scale that. And so I think, you know, so often, you know, I get asked the question, really is can't we just have it continue to be organic? Like, do you have to really put all this work in it? Is it really worth it? And I think, I guess not, if you're okay with culture continuing just to happen by default, but culture is happening by default or by design. I frankly would rather design it actively. And so I'm not saying that culture has to be reviewed as much as strategy, but I do think at key inflection points of growth, it needs to be reviewed. And I talk about even at Adobe, we went through a CEO change. We acquired our largest company. We changed our business model. Those are key times where we're not only needing to look at our strategy, but we also looked at if this is what we're shifting, 
we also need to look at how we're working together, you know, and what kind of behaviors are we going to need to help us in that next phase of growth. And mm -hmm. so I think being able to proactively define what are those behaviors that we want to see from our leaders, that we want to see from our employees is only going to help us achieve that strategy. Do you think the strategy that we use to evolve culture needs more attention during transitional periods then? Yes. Yep. That's a good way to say it for sure. Yeah. I mean, I have, you know, like you said, I've been with a few great companies, you know, Twitter and Adobe were, I would say strong on all three components. When I talk about purpose, which is the why strategy is the what and culture is the how I think both of those companies figured out how to leverage those three components effectively together. I think WeWork was just such a great opportunity to see what happens when, you know, frankly, not, you know, the strategy was clear at one point, it was a real estate co-working space, but then, then it got into wave pools and education and the education arm. And then the values were good, but there was never an opportunity to kind of define what those values are in, into the behaviors. And so I think you started to create this system where cracks were forming at both a, a strategy and a, a cultural level. And to your point, I think there were a lot of transition points, especially in a fast growing company like that, where yeah. it would have behooved, you know, the leadership team to just stop and say, wait a minute here, you know, what, is, is it, are we really focused on the right things? And are we seeing the right kind of behaviors that we want to see in our organization and hold people accountable for that? How do you maintain that high culture level in a rapidly growing company like we work? It almost feels like you're patching things as things are getting broken, mm -hmm. right? How, how do you do that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it is. It, uh, that's a good point. I think you are patching things. I think you're putting a bunch of band-aids on, on the cracks that are forming. I think it's ongoing conversations. You know, I mean, we usually take time to review our strategy. I think the pandemic, among other silver linings, made us realize we are more agile than we even thought we were capable of. You know, I yeah. think being able to have a global experiment for everybody to work at home and for companies to pivot their strategy overnight, those were huge. And it just made us realize that that can be done. And now I think companies, you know, even where I am now at Udemy, we're realizing, gosh, we have to look at our strategy much more than we used to and just be clear about what it is we're saying are the highest priorities. So I think it's an ongoing conversation. Again, it's that kind of reframe from it's this kind of static initiative to, you know, an active review and conversations. And so I think with culture, you know, I talk about behaviors, but then I also talk about processes and the importance of, you know, embedding those, those behaviors into some of those core people processes that we already are doing. So our hiring process our onboarding process, our recognition process, our feedback process, all of those need to have the behaviors embedded into them. 
And so I think that's a, a great way to codify culture and make sure we're reinforcing them in the right ways. I love that behaviors, right? Which, mm-hmm. which I think are dictated by the beliefs that yeah. the company has, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Interesting. All right. Question then. I've found that in a lot of cases, the culture of a company sometimes is interpreted by like me, the consumer, or just somebody outside is interpreted through social media or through marketing. And then we create this perception of what that company's culture mm-hmm. is through what we're seeing from the marketing mm-hmm. we've done. Mm-hmm. How important is that when, when you are taking on the culture of a company to make sure that the marketing fits the right culture? I think that's a great question. I, I, I think the external perspective for a company is known as the you know, employer value uh, brand proposition. Um, uh, And ideally, to your point, what is seen externally and talked about externally is the same as what's experienced internally. In fact, at Adobe, we did this whole exercise. The employee value proposition was being done on the marketing side to figure out what are we known for? Like, what what do customers Mm. talk about when they talk about Adobe? why do employees come, you know, why do they even, you know, uh, apply for a job here? And then internally we were kind of, we weren't, I didn't call it at the time, but we were reculturing. We we're kind of looking at our values and, and figuring out kind of what do we need to evolve them? You know, what needs to stay the same, what needs to shift here? And we got to a point, I remember this distinctly, we all got into a room and we shared kind of the findings from the employees as well as from the external customers. And it was the same. And I think those values are still there today, but yeah, one of them was genuine, which was great. One of them was innovation. And so ideally you want those experiences to be the same. And to your point and your question, a lot of employees now are asking more questions about the culture specifically in an interview. So tell me about, you know, I saw that you highlighted this in your recent post on LinkedIn. Can you tell me more about that? Or I noticed on Glassdoor that the rating for the CEO was a little lower than other CEO ratings. Can you tell me about that? So there's a lot more research that is being done about the culture, about the purpose by candidates than I think there ever was before. What do you think is so important about the culture from the candidate's perspective? What are they interpreting about it that makes it important to them? I think they want to make sure that the, first of all, that what they're hearing you say as a recruiter is consistent with what's being shared out there in the world. They want to understand more from your perspective about the CEO and how he or she is regarded. They want to learn more about the purpose of the company. I I think the employer-employee contract has changed. I think when I first started in my career 20-something years ago, I had a lot of nice to haves, you know, it would be nice to have a purpose-driven organization. It would be nice to grow and develop my skills. It would be nice to have some flexibility 
those are all must-haves now. <laughs> so, <laughs> so true. Yeah, like I have to know like what the purpose is and how how this is positively impacting the world and what is my contribution to it. I have to know that I'm going to be developing my skills and becoming a better leader and a better human. And I have to know that, you know, culture is really important to you and that I'm going to be able to participate and help build that culture. I love that. That's good. I like that. And you're right. It's changed so fast. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you think that it's changed quickly? Just a side note, because of social media, because we're just more interconnected and we're watching what other people are doing and it's easy to see everybody's like insides now or what, what what do you think i think people part of part of it is that for sure we have more information to leverage we can kind of call companies on their their own stuff if we see a disconnect between you know what's out there and and what we're experiencing but i also think just people have realized like i i spend a lot of time at work and i want to make sure that i'm doing you know what I, what I want to be doing. Um, post pandemic, I think people are burnt out. You know, I, you've, you've yeah. heard that. I think we're all experiencing that. And I just think this whole, before we started, started talking about the recession, the looming recession, we also had heard so much about the great reset, the great reflection. And I think that has the last two and a half years have just caused people to think twice about how they want to spend their time and they want to spend it in a company where they know they're going to make an impact and where they can be with colleagues who are going to be supportive and and where they feel safe. So I think those are some variables that contributed to this shift. I agree. Yeah. The pandemic, you're so right. Just putting it in front of you, our mortality, Mm -hmm. you mentioned reculturing uh, which is in, uh, I don't remember what page it is in because I'm on, I'm on the Kindle, but I highlighted it, okay? So this is from your book. Reculturing is the continuous act of redesigning and reconnecting behaviors, processes, and practices to each other and to the organizational system. I love that definition. By the way, your book was great. Everyone listening, pick it up. Thank you. Tell me more, tell me more about that. How did you come up with that? Because it's so concise. And I'm like, oh, I'm so glad you think it's concise, here. Tristan. <laughs> there's, there's, there's so much to unpack. <laughs> yeah. Well, backing up, I mean, we talked about this briefly. I think, you know, I've always been a big believer in systems thinking. I think that has been a big component of my entire career. I've always thought about any problem that has come to me, you know, what is it that the person is really getting at, you know, what's underneath the presented issue? How does what they're coming to me for tying to other issues? How, how are these things connected? And, you know, I'd, off, I'd often, and I talk about this in the book, like talk, uh, be a leader would come to me and say, oh, we need training. But then we pulled it back a little bit. We realized it's not just training you need, actually your organizational structure needs to be reviewed and the people in those roles need to be reviewed. And by the way, we need to review your strategy. Like all of these things were connected. And so I think 
this idea of systems thinking was something I definitely wanted to integrate in the book. And I first talk about the organizational system, which we talked about. So it's the, like tying the purpose, the why with the what strategy with the how culture. Mm-hmm. So there's that. And then culture is also its system, its own system. So I think culture is more than just values. It is behaviors, which is what we talked about being integrated into those processes that we already do, you know, the feedback, the hiring, the, the interviewing, the onboarding, and then practices are things that are more informal than your processes. So these are your everyday kind of experiences, your meetings, your one-on-ones, your team meetings, how you communicate, how you make decisions, how you even learn. And I think there's opportunities to reinforce those behaviors in those practices as well. Mm-hmm. And going back to your original question, practices are so important to continue to evolve as well. So you need to review those. And I give the example of, you know, most companies now have all hands meetings or, you know, all company meetings. And it's, it used to be when we were at Twitter, we used to have these meetings on Friday afternoons at 4.30 because it was tied to happy hour and beer and food and all that good stuff. But <laughs> as we grew, those were, you know, we became a global company and that was midnight in London. And that was the weekend on a Saturday in Tokyo. And so not a great global practice. So we knew we still wanted to keep the essence of that practice, which was an update on what's going on in the organization, an opportunity for employees to share stories about one of the behaviors or values um, that they experienced that week. And we kept that, but then we shifted the practice itself. We we shifted the, the expression of it. So we moved it. I think we moved it to Thursdays. We had it in the morning and in the afternoon, and then we changed who was going to host. So it wasn't just us nice. in San Francisco. But again, that is a a great example, I think, of a practice that needs to continue to evolve as you grow. Yeah. I like that. All right. Mm -hmm. So here's a question. And I I know you've thought about this, and I get this on both sides. I'm building up the question. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Do you see that in most of the companies that you've done research in and the ones you've worked with, do you think that culture, good culture, good, strong um, positive culture it comes from the ground up or from the leadership at the top or or from the leadership in between what what have you seen as typical i strongly believe that it has to come from the top down and bottom up one of my one of my colleagues just recently said and middle out <laughs> so um, <laughs> so all three yeah all three um i i do think before People go into reculturing in different places. Some are doing it for the first time. So I, I do think it's important that leaders, you know, however many, if, if it's the founder, CEO, and a few leaders, I think it's important for them to have a conversation first, just to understand what's important. What do we want to make sure that is included in how we work together? Because you don't want to go out to employees and have them give feedback. And then come back and say, well, no, actually, we need to include these three things as well. So it's important Mm. to know 
what mm. you want and, and even don't want before you even open it up to employees. So just having some guardrails, if you will, before you go out. But I do think talking with employees and kind of testing some of those ideas and behaviors that the leaders had and getting more details from them. So if a behavior around innovation is about, you know, getting ideas out there faster, what would that look like? What would we be doing? What would we not be doing? What would a good day look like? And so you start to, to create a lot of these stories that create themes of what good looks like across an organization. I also think that at least 10% of the company should be included in this process. So oh. yeah, I mean, I think you start to hear the same things over and over at 10%. So a lot of bigger companies go beyond that, you know, 15, 20%, 30%, but they've even admitted, you know, we do these big culture, they call them culture jams or focus group jams or, you know, even, even one-on-ones and the themes start to sound the same, but I think it's a messy process. You know, it's, you then take all the feedback from the employees and then you bring that back to the leadership team, have a conversation with them and then go back to the employee. Like there should be eventually kind of a core group of employees that kind of represent different functions, different levels, different tenure, Mm. so that you get that diverse set of input. And then, you know, you finally, you you kind of have to land the plane at some point, but I think it's easier knowing that you're going to get to a final when the context is, this is not our forever culture. This is not our forever set of behaviors. This is what it is for now over the next year or year and a half, however long. And we're going to continue to review this but this is what's going to work. These are the set of behaviors that are going to work for us to be most effective right now. How do you set those behaviors? I have criteria in my book that I talk about. So my first inspiration from this was, um, and I interviewed her for the book and I think she's hilarious, Patty McCord at Netflix. I think Netflix was the pioneer in this. I mean, they, they came out with that culture deck that a lot of people are familiar with. And I think it was... I want to say 2010, where they not only define the values of Netflix, but they did define those behaviors. And at the time, I think they had like 23. Now, I think the latest count is 47. I think that's a lot. It's a lot. So my, one of my criteria is less is more. So if you can get it down to 15 behaviors, I think that's ideal because then you're not you're spending more time figuring out how to in- integrate it into to what you're doing versus trying to memorize them. <laughs> I also think you need to be really clear in your behaviors on, you know, it, it should be positively stated. I think a lot of behaviors that I read are, they start out with no, mm. no, no assholes, excuse my French, or you know, ah, don't, don't, don't be a jerk. You know, it's like, well, that's great. But what do we want? You know, what does it look like when people aren't being a jerk. I think you also want to watch your idioms and cliches, you know, don't sweat the small stuff or make sure you're in other people's shoes. Like I just, it has to be globally understood. And so I I think the behaviors take something to, to get to a set that is still represents what employees and leaders have said, and it's clear to everybody and they're observable. They like, I'd actually, if I put a, a video camera on you, I'd, I, based on these behaviors, I'd be able to observe you doing these. I love that. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. Yeah, clarity is really important. As soon as something becomes kind of 
muggy people are like so what is this really right because mm-hmm. i saw you do mm-hmm. something completely different right yeah well and i think clarity that's another word that i think has, has gotten more attention the um, last couple of years with the pandemic i think we've had to be more clear because we haven't had the luxury anymore of like hey tristan i forgot to say in the meeting or hey wait i wanted to follow up with you in the hallway it's we need clarity on what is it that I want you what is it that I'm holding you accountable to do what is it that what decision did we just make and what is your role in that what are the next steps between now and when we next see each other and so I think this clarity in not only what we're working on but how we're working together is is really important I didn't think about that working remotely does require a lot more clarity mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and being very succinct because I may not see you for a while. Right. And that, you know, it's interesting because there, there were a lot of studies that talked about, especially newer managers who were the increasing the number of meetings they had with their teams and with their employees because they were so used to managing by seeing you, you know, and so they wanted to make sure that they were checking in and catching up mm. on what it is you were working on versus again just being clear on hey this is what i expect at the end of the quarter this is the outcome we want i'm here mm. if you have any if you need support if you have a blocker if you need any decisions that need to be made i'm here and we'll obviously talk in our one on ones but that doesn't mean i have to check in with you every single day or you know yeah, five times yeah. a day i like that i i definitely think that that reminds me of I don't know which one of Jim Collins' books, Built to Last or Good to Great, where he says, you don't want to micromanage the people you hire. You want to lead with a vision, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's so true. Exactly what you just said right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So looking at some of these companies that have struggled through identifying the right behaviors to lay a good groundwork for culture. What do you think some of the key points these bigger companies are missing in their attempt to create amazing culture? Well, I I think one of them is just reframing culture, the definition of culture. One of the questions I get a lot right now is how do we bring our culture back? How how do you think we can Uh, we can go back? And it's it's so funny to me because that's the same people who didn't love everything about the work experience before, you know, we all were complaining about the commutes or our boss or something, you know, about our work experience. And it is such a missed opportunity to define or redefine our work experience now post COVID. Like what, what do Mm -hmm. we want our work experience to be? What is the playbook for good work now? So I think the first thing that people get wrong is just not being clear or using the wrong definition of culture. And so I think when employees, the the leaders who ask, how do we bring our culture back? How do we get our employees back into the office? It's the wrong question. Like employees are not coming back for a free sandwich. I mean, that's just, that's condescending. Uh, I'm all for a free sandwich. I love a good game of ping pong. And that is not the reason to come into an office to, to commute for however, you know, for an hour each way. So I think we need to redefine what culture is. We need to be clear on our expectations of how we're going to work together um, through those behaviors. And we need to be much more intentional in the different 
ways that we're working, you know, using the office as yet another tool for us to leverage. So when we are together, what is it that we can do that we might not be able to do as effective as effectively through our computers? You know, is it brainstorming? Is it collaborating? Is it making decisions that we that are harder over Zoom? Is it just being together and, you know, being at our desks, but mm. being available kind of real time on, uh, you know, working on a, a particular project? I just think we need to be much clearer about how we're using our time, where we're working and the intention behind it. I agree. You're a deep thinker. I, re- I, I mean, I read your book. I, highlight, I reread some of them just for the questions. And I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Take me through the process. Maybe, maybe a, a request, not a question. Mm-hmm. Take me through the process of how it looks for you to go into reflective mode or think deeper about strategy and start creating these processes. What does that look like for you? It's definitely an iterative process. I need my own reflective time first, but I'm also somebody who likes to brainstorm with others. I think the biggest thing that I miss in an office is the big whiteboard and being able to kind of just, you know, get a good marker (laughs) and, you know, whiteboard things out and I just get so energized by that. And then going back in and kind of taking what we just talked about, reworking it, and then maybe opening it up to, to more people. But that's, that's a lot of how I like to, to learn and, and think through things. The writing process itself was, was interesting because that, that was definitely an iterative process. I mean, I, I think being able to, over the years, write down what I was learning, being able to speak about it a bit more, writing blogs, writing articles, that all led to the book. That was all contributions to the book. The book just, you know, it didn't come to me overnight. I don't think a lot of books do, but I definitely wanted it to be impactful and I wanted it to be a useful guide for people at work, you know, whether that was entrepreneurs or executives in larger organizations. But it is, it's messy. I, I do think yeah. even strategy, I think there's a misnomer about strategy that that you, you know, you do A plus B plus C equals D. And that's so it's, true. <laughs> it's not. It's just it's so I think you have to be willing to to get a little messy. And again, especially especially today. I mean, there is there's you have to be much more agile than than we used to. One of the other right. things, I don't know if you got to this part, but it's I do talk a lot about, I've always been fascinated with polarity thinking and this idea of looking at two different, you know, the the opposites of something. And I also got a lot of questions when this book first came out about the, isn't it too prescriptive? Like, isn't it, isn't it too much of a a framework? And Mm. what I shared back, which I, I have learned the hard way in my career is that I, I think as human beings, and especially employees that I've worked with, we crave some kind of framework. We crave some kind of um, a, a set of guardrails. It, it is harder to think strategically when we just have a blank piece of paper sometimes. And if, and if we already know that the company has 
some guardrails, but they're just not telling us, that's even more disempowering. So one of my friends called it freedom within a framework the other day. Like, how do we, how do we still give freedom to employees, but also give them some guardrails and some understanding of what we expect? And I think so often, this is the other gotcha to your question before about what people get wrong. They do try to give too much freedom to employees, but really they're not. There, there are a lot of implicit expectations going on in any company. Mm -hmm. And so if you can just be explicit as much as possible what those are, all of that noise, like I'm not clear about what my job is. I don't, you know, I, what are they expect of me? How am I going to get promoted? What am I going to get feedback on? What are the behaviors that are that I need to reinforce here? All of that noise gets put back into the background. And what then can really happen is the true work, is the true relationships, is the true connections. So yeah. it's kind of like culture. You know, culture again is is happening, whether by design or default. And I think a lot of these expectations are there by designer default. So I think providing those guardrails is key for employees to in fact have more freedom. It's like you you said in the book somewhere, and I don't I didn't highlight this, but I remember reading it. And I'm paraphrasing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but you said take care of the employees' concerns, right? Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. all of a sudden you can you can start seeing everything else come together. Just like you said, yeah. right? you're, you're yeah. taking care of that noise. Yeah. So yep. I, I love that. There's a section that I highlighted in the book, which kind of goes along with what we're talking about right now. You said organizations with great cultures don't just have trainings. They have learning experiences that help employees become better at their jobs within the context of what is needed to be successful at the company. That's kind of what you were saying along the mm -hmm. lines of well. mm -hmm. And how important do you think that is for companies to have those learning experiences you think it's it's integral to to the culture piece or, or is that something else? I do. Well, I think learning and making sure that providing development opportunities for employees is one of those must haves. Again, I think every every employee is expecting that now. What I have experienced throughout my career and, and where I saw a disconnect again is, you know, we would identify what is expected of our employees and talk about some of those behaviors or those leadership attributes. Mm -hmm. And then I would be sent to a way to Stanford or to Harvard for a two week exec program, which, you know, those are all amazing. But then I would come back into the organization and maybe some, but most of those skills that I just learned weren't necessarily relevant or being reinforced in all of the processes that we had at the organization. And so my point is, let's make sure that if we say innovation and the behavior of prototyping quickly is a behavior we wanna reinforce, mm. let's make sure that we have learning experiences that help people prototype quickly. Another example is, you know, we at Udemy, we have a, a value of always learning. One of the behaviors is that we have constructive debate to make decisions. Well, a lot of employees do not know how to con have constructive debate. It's conflated with not being nice. And so the <laughs> onus is on us 
us to develop a, a learning experience and skills to build that constructive uh -huh. debate. So if that is an expression of our culture, and that is behavior that we have said defines the value of always learning, the learning experience is so much more meaningful when we know that all of us are learning this behavior together. And in fact, me learning this is going to help me get better feedback, is going to help me get promoted, is going to help me get rewarded more so than any kind of you know, course I take externally that doesn't tie into any of the behaviors we've already said were important. That's full circle right there. That is full circle. Yeah. That's, mm -hmm. that's beautiful. I love mm -hmm. that. And so towards the beginning of the book, I go, I went from like the end or the middle. Yeah. Level. Yeah. You, you mentioned Adobe's behaviors, uh, those values, they said still mm -hmm. exist. genuine, exceptional, innovative, and involved. Mm -hmm. Right. And I thought, wow, those are super simple and easy. But now as I'm listening to you right now, when you're saying we need to figure out if the employees actually know what these words mean, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. how we're interpreting it. Mm -hmm. And if they don't, it's our job to teach them, hey, this is how it is. And then if you stay along these lines, we'll also reward you. That's just beautiful. So mm -hmm. take me through those four. Do you think that's enough? Do you think it's too simple? Do you think it's... Oh, behind it? those are behaviors. They have a whole set of behaviors be behind those that I think that I think the, the behaviors have evolved over the years since I've been there for sure. But when we first defined those, when I was there, we had a whole set of, of behaviors that then got embedded into the, the leveling framework. So this is what it's going to take to be a manager. This is what it's going to take to be a director. It got embedded into the hiring process. So the, the interesting thing about Adobe, and I think this is true with a lot of companies, your values can stay the same, but your behaviors and how those are represented may be different. And I, I'll give you an example, a quick example. I was working with two different companies, both of which had innovation as a value. But when you dug in, one of them was they didn't feel like they were prototyping quicker, quick enough. They didn't feel like they were getting their ideas out there fast enough. And so they wanted a behavior that made it safe for people to prototype more quickly. Like we, I can't remember the exact, it was something about we, we support each other in prototyping quickly. Mm -hmm. The other organization also had a value of innovation, but they felt like they were getting too many ideas out there that weren't great. They just, they weren't thought through, they weren't quality oh. and we weren't asking or they weren't asking enough questions. So they wanted to pull back a little bit. And one of their behaviors was we ask each other why. And so mm -hmm. in the conversation with each other in meetings, people started to say, well, why, why are we going after that? And it wasn't, it did put people in the defense mode. I think why has sometimes been a, been a, uh, has gotten a bad rap because it, it can, it, it depending on how you ask it, it, it can yeah. uh, put somebody else up into a defensive mode, but in this case, because they clarified it as a behavior, it was a signal to say, oh, okay, let's slow down a little bit. I haven't really thought through the business case for this. And I, I need to think that through a little bit more. I need to connect that more with kind of where, how that's going to enhance our current platform. So again, very two different companies, same, same value, but the behaviors were different because their outcomes we're wanting to be different. I love that. I kept on, as I was reading your book and I was getting towards the end, I kept on thinking, 
about the Marines. I, I was never a Marine, but I'm thinking mm. like, damn, they they have a, it, it seems like the, the culture is like just right through like all levels. And, mm-hmm. and it's super clear to see as, you, as soon as you go in. What comes to mind for you? Like what few companies to you exemplify the epitome of a culture right now because companies change? What do you think? That's such a hard question. I do, I, I am biased. I think Adobe has a great uh, culture. I think the one I'm in now, um, I think we've done a great job of defining purpose, strategy, and culture. And we're continuing to review that at, at Udemy. The other ones that come to mind, I think Airbnb does a pretty good job. Brian Chesky is the, the CEO there. I think he's been really transparent about what they value and some of the decisions they've made and some of the behaviors they've leveraged to make you know, some of those decisions. So I, I, I think the ones that stand out are the ones that can kind of connect that strategy and the behaviors again. What are some other, com- so many people are in transition right now. Yeah, I see that. What do you think of the bigger companies like Apple or Microsoft or, or, uh, or even Tesla right now? Oh, I don't want to talk about Tesla. <laughs> Let's go to Apple. <laughs> or Microsoft. I mean, I think, yeah, Microsoft. Um, I think that is an example of a, of a culture shift from, you know, from the Steve Ballmer days, that whole culture is known as more of a learning culture now. You know, I I think one of my colleagues who works there said that they often talk about, we're not a know-it-all culture, we're a learn-it-all culture. And I think they've done that by really embedding specific behaviors into their everyday work. I think empathy is in there. I don't know what the exact behavior is, but really being able to still be customer focused and to our point earlier, employee focused. So they were much more, the leadership team has been much more focused on making sure that people are heard and that, you know, how we treat each other matters. It's not just about the results. It comes down to kindness, right? How we treat each other matters. Yeah, (laughs) totally. Yeah. I mean, Satya, the CEO there has, I mean, he's written a great, at least one book on this, but has talked about the transformation and how culture has been a huge piece of that. And, you know, they often even talk about the growth mindset, you know, being able to think, you know, not rest on our laurels and what Mm. has been done, but how do we, how do we get curious and think differently about how to be a successful business that will, you know, will scale and will will be a place, frankly, that people want to work at and be part of. Yeah. Well, you uh, you made me think a lot in the book and in a lot of Thank great you. ways. I took a lot of notes there and I took a ton <laughs> of notes right now with you. I love it. That's great. You're a good <laughs> note taker. Like, this, is, this is good. This is good. Uh, you gave me a lot of great stuff. Unless everyone listening in, pick up the book, Reculturing. It's It's on Amazon. And if you need to get a hold of Melissa, Melissa, are you on Twitter or Instagram? I am on Twitter and on Instagram and on LinkedIn. So I think LinkedIn, it's Melissa Daimler. Twitter, it's Melissa Daimler. Instagram, it's M Daimler. And then I have Perfect. a website, melissadaimler.com. Easy. Well, that's easy. I'll do yeah. that. Then. I, yeah. I will reach out to you there. Thank you so much for being on. Thanks for having it. me. Thanks for all the great questions and the in- inquiry. I love, I love all that hearing what you've learned. Those are all the brilliant thoughts that we have for you today. 
If you like what you're hearing, drop us a review or just tell your friends. This has been a success podcast. Head to success.com slash podcast to hear more just like it.